Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dave. And join us every Thursday for a new episode of Two Player Bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave as we talk about the latest in Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and VR news, previews, and reviews. We have it all, and we play it all. And join us every other week for Post Game, where we play through and dive deep into our favorite modern classics and new releases. That's Two Player Bros, available every Thursday wherever you get your podcast. part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Forgotten Cinema is getting romantic for our eighth season and just in time for Valentine's Day as we cover the 90s ensemble drama, Beautiful Girls. We'll then do a complete 180 as we dive into some spy films, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and Spy Game. We'll find out why white men can't jump and whether you should shoot to kill while enjoying a Frankenweenie. Nope, that doesn't make any sense. You know what else doesn't make sense? This season will also feature our 100th episode of Forgotten Cinema. Feels like 100 years. Don't I know it. Forgotten Cinema. Never stop, never stopping. Yes, that's a hint. Part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds who met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where every week we journey to a galaxy far, far away to discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. We'll talk about how our relationship with the film has changed over time, how the film builds on what came before it, and forms our understanding of the Force. Finally, we'll provide you with some recommendations for other material you may enjoy if you love these movies. This week, we are journeying to Endor to, in order to recognize the one true god, C-3PO. Colleen, <laughs> Anders, you guys ready for the banquet in his honor? <laughs> yeah, as long as we're not the main course. Will there be magic? Well, Anders, why don't you get us started with some numbers and we'll see if there is some magic there. <laughs> sure thing. All right, so Return of the Jedi premiered on May 25th, 1983. Now, somewhat famously, the title was changed at the last minute. Uh, it was originally called Revenge of the Jedi, but then George Lucas decided that Jedi do not, in fact, take revenge, so they changed it. There are a lot of marketing materials out there where there are some serious collector's item with that original title. Uh, this movie was then re-released in 1985, and then, along with the other two films in the trilogy, remastered and re-released in 1997 as the special edition. Uh, this movie on a budget of about $32.5 million, so right about the same as Empire Strikes Back, uh, made $475.3 million worldwide on its initial theatrical run. Uh, and it was the very first movie ever to gross over $20 million in its opening weekend. Boom. Wow. <laughs> Uh, this movie was written by Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas from a story by George Lucas and directed by Richard Marquand. So another one that George Lucas did not, in fact, direct. Nope, but that's okay. That's all right. All right. Now we're going to get into our reactions and discussion. Daniel, last episode you mentioned how you've been able to avoid <laughs> the special editions up until now. Mm -hmm. So with this last one, tell us what your experience was like. Okay, so now that I've seen all three special edition movies, uh, my brother made way bigger of a deal about avoiding them than we needed to. It's not that big of a deal. I can handle watching the special editions. I do have a little bit of a gripe with uh, with this edition because they changed the musical number in Jabba's Palace. I will say the music is better in the special edition, but those CGI like dancers and singers that they added in, I, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> Not at all. 
Um, though I do love Boba um, flirting with the dancers. I thought yes. that was fantastic. <laughs> get it, get it. I was Boba. like, that is, that's, that's perfect. I love that for him. Overall, special editions, uh, I'll, I'll give them a pass. They, uh, they made things look really good, especially the space battles. Um, I love the changes there. So I will probably keep watching the special editions. But if I need to, you know, I still have a way to watch the theatricals. So we're all good. Yeah, this movie, another one that I'm mostly okay with the updates they made for the special editions. Uh, you mentioned the CGI on the band. It, not the best. Mm-hmm. 1997, not the best. They didn't exactly yeah. clean that up like they have since uh, with the Jabba, the, the original Jabba the Hutt in mm-hmm. A New Hope. They've cleaned him up over the years. They haven't done that with those guys. And the only thing I re- think I'd really rather remove is Vader's second no in that final showdown with the Emperor. Yes. The first one where it's like low and you can tell he's stealing himself and he's like, no, that that's fine. That that works. Mm-hmm. The second one, though, is just over the top and too much of a drama queen, even for Vader. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. the one... And the thing that I definitely prefer in these special editions, I know there's a movement out there that wants justice for Yubnub, but John Williams strikes again with that new score <laughs> over the ending. I love it. I love that music. Mm-hmm. And I love seeing all the planets that we've gotten to know over the course of the entire series. It's amazing. Actually, hold on. I do have a, a, a gripe there as well. <laughs> okay. I did not need to see the Gungans celebrating. <laughs> here in a we, in we, no no we that don't need like that home? yeah we oh, don't I need that seeing Naboo. okay it was nice seeing Naboo it's just like uh, I, I I have a distaste for the for the Gungans um, give give us Darth Jar Jar but that's another story <laughs> yeah and then the addition of Hayden Christensen in the end subbing him in instead of Sebastian Shaw I'm kind of 50-50 on like mm-hmm. I mean if you really want to do it sure fine um, I did see something recently actually that said Hayden Christensen did not know what they were shooting when he shot that. Like George Lucas just kind of gave him the robes. It was like, Hey, put these on and let's get some footage of you looking at the camera, <laughs> which is why his facial expressions don't necessarily match what's going on. George he looks a little again. embarrassed. Yeah. Confused a little bit. Like, yeah. What's going on? <laughs> and I'm also just confused. Like if you're going to have the younger Anakin, why is he wearing those like brown white robes? Anakin never freaking wore those as a young Thank Jedi. You. <laughs> he had the darker tone robes the entire time, all through the prequels. Why? Give Anakin his emo robes or don't <laughs> change it at all. Exactly. Right? What's the point? Oh, man. I'm the same on those changes. It's not terrible, but I like the originals just fine, too. I cannot stand the upgrades, quote unquote, upgrades to the Jabba palace mm-hmm. and barge scenes. Just like, no, I despise size noodles from Clone Wars, like, no, Zero the Hutt should have killed her instead. And I hate Zero the Hutt also, so that really puts us where we are right there. It's just like, no, the song was bad. The CGI was cheesy. And it made that kind of scare factor go away. Because Jabba's scary. Like, he's feeding people to the Rancor. He's a terrifying person. And then you have this, like, girl group with the lead singer who can't really sing. And it was just too, Mm -hmm. too much cheese factor. And I wish they hadn't messed with the Sarlacc. I didn't need a huge mouth coming out of it like a octopus yes. thing. I didn't need that. Like it's fine. Just dump it's them in not the pit. as scary anymore. It's not. It's much scarier if it's just lazing about there. I mean, it's like basically a stomach that's just dissolving people. I don't think it really needed the mouth. Exactly. But I think it was also one thing I thought that was interesting about that though, and this gets 
a little bit towards some stuff in The Mandalorian. I didn't really realize when I was a kid that the monster is in the pit. It's not that the monster is the pit. So the yeah. beak actually kind of helps me understand that, that it is something inside this pit. <laughs> Despite the fact that they do actually overtly say they distinguish between the pit and the monster in the movie. Yeah. Well, but as a kid, kid I mean, yeah, if you're yeah. a kid, you don't recognize that sort I'm of thing. not listening to that. <laughs> I do miss Yub Nub, otherwise that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get a little bit into our relationship with this film and how it's kind of changed over time. I gotta say my opinion of this film in terms of my rankings and things hasn't really shifted that much. But it wasn't until this particular rewatch that I did actually notice how silly this movie is. Everyone kind of always calls it the silly one or the one with all the Muppets or whatever, however you want to say it. Mm-hmm. And I never really picked up on that until now. And I do think that this specifically this film is where the Stormtroopers reputation starts to take a dive. They are mm-hmm. bumbling idiots in this one during that whole final battle on endor they barely fire a shot it's not even that they're missing point blank when they do (laughs) they barely fire a shot when these creatures are just like jumping all over the place they're running away from teddy bears (laughs) hey teddy bears are freaky man they can be especially if one's running after you (laughs) Mm -hmm. with Um, a spear with a spear yeah i mean but you have a blaster sir this is true yeah hey wait idiots we all have blasters And vehicles and <laughs> artillery. This one is not Space Aladdin. All right. This <laughs> one is not. Back. No, we're going to get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this is the least favorite of mine of the original trilogy. It doesn't mean it's bad. I, I still like it. It's just mm-hmm. not as good as the other two. The biggest gripe I have is the Obi-Wan and Luke scene. Like as an adult watching it, I'm like, mm, so yeah. much about this is not okay. It plays so differently for me now. Terrible choice not to tell Luke about his family. Like, hasn't old Ben learned anything from anything that's happened in Star Wars? If he to had, fair, maybe he wouldn't be a ghost. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. What's up, Obi-Wan? But to be fair, Lucas didn't know that he was going to make Vader into Anakin Skywalker until later. So they had to put in this scene to explain Obi-Wan's creative like definition of the truth. Otherwise, we'd be like, well, Obi-Wan's a liar. How can we trust anything he says? I do like that it makes Obi-Wan a more well-rounded character, like someone who does make mistakes. Mm-hmm. But when he basically tells Luke he has to murk his dad, <laughs> that's another tough look. He doesn't say it outright. He says, you must face Darth Vader again. And Luke's like, but wait, I can't kill my dad. And Obi-Wan answers, quote, then the Emperor has already won. Like, he's sad about it. Like, old Ben, no. Yep. If Luke kills his dad, he will fall to the dark side and probably become Palpatine's new apprentice. Isn't that what we're trying to avoid? Maybe a better dialogue choice would have been like, did I say kill? (laughs) (laughs) No, I just said you have to face him, not kill him. Like, maybe just a light maiming that happens. Yeah, like I did do him on Mustafar all those years ago. Yeah, I was going to say. Just the um, light maiming. What what does he have left to maim? Exactly. (laughs) Guess he could cut off his head, but then he'd be dead. So we're going to have to walk that one back again, Obi-Wan. I do like that Luke basically schools Obi-Wan in this conversation. Like every five Mm -hmm. seconds, he's throwing stuff back at him. Like, good job, Luke. Keep asking questions. Your sister will remain anonymous forever. Oh, it's Leia. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Obi-Wan, once again. Uh, How about you, Daniel? So I agree. I like that Obi-Wan becomes a more well-rounded character. You see some of his flaws there. A very much, you know, the students learn from the flaws of the masters and try and move past them. But, you know, it, it makes them all much more human. Like, you know, they're, they're striving to be this this better, more luminous being, but they're still humans. They still get stuck in the mud sometimes. 
Um, so I like that no one is really perfect and that we kind of see a continuation of that in Luke later on. You know, that's for another series. Um, as for the you basically have to kill your dad conversation uh, for all my Avatar fans, it uh, it reminds me of the Aang's, Aang having to kill the Fire Lord conversations that he has. Um, Kiyoshi, just kill him. <laughs> you just got to kill him and then finding your own way. Um, so I, I, I like that a lot. Would um, he have I found to... his own way if Ben had spelled it out for him? Well, he That's... didn't know. I mean, at that point, yeah. Ben had lost all faith in Vader. He's like, he's screwed, man. I mean, he's, he fell to the dark side. It's over. I like Luke being challenged that moment and having stand up for what he believes in. It's It's nice to see that Luke has grown from this little farm boy in episode four who was just doing whatever Obi-Wan says. And he's like, Oh, that's my idol. And now he's like, well, no, I, I look up to you, but I'm going to make my own journey. I'm my own man. I'm my own Jedi. Uh, so seeing Luke's growth is amazing. And the Luke Vader plot is my favorite part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That is what always stands out to me. And what I always think of when I think of this movie, but I have to change my assertion from the beginning of the podcast that, four is my least favorite of the trilogy this is my least favorite of the trilogy and like you said colleen doesn't mean it's bad still absolutely love this movie but it is so goofy whenever we're on indoor and (laughs) tatooine feels a bit goofy but then everything to do with luke and vader is deadly serious and so the the tone feels so mismatched so that kind of you know detracts a little bit from me but i still like i said absolutely love this movie and anders i do agree the stormtroopers letting the ewoks overtake them you know, that really is the start of like, oh, stormtroopers are the worst. And because they were intimidating in four and five. And now we're, we see a little bit more goofy side. So it, yeah. it is probably the the one I'm going to rewatch the least, but still love it. Yeah. I mean, they they just it's a very common fantasy movie trope where you realize that there's more of them in terms of the Ewoks and they can kind of overwhelm the evil bad guys. That's totally a valid plot thing but the stormtroopers just go from 60 to zero <laughs> yeah really yeah. easily even with rex there i mean that yeah. probably wouldn't have happened <laughs> shouts to our boy clone trooper rex oh no yes. <laughs> all right so now we get into where we actually get to shout out some of our favorite little details in this film starting with the ships now empire strikes back we talked about how it gave us a much clearer look at the imperial navy this one gets us a much clearer look at the rebellion's fleet so colleen can you give us a little bit of background on those moncala ships heck yes moncala mari forever <laughs> i love the moncala cruisers it's just so fun the emperor made a huge mistake by subjugating moncala because it motivated the people to kind of throw all of their weight behind the rebel alliance the ships were originally built to be city ships. So they're really big. These are the big mm-hmm. bulk cruisers. But the Imperial occupation forced the Moncal to identify, like modify the ships into combat ready vessels. <laughs> Just more mistakes from the Empire mm-hmm. right here. And then Admiral Akbar's ship, which is the one we see the most of in this movie, is called Home One. Like my dude just has the best ship. This is an MC-80A Star Cruiser, and it is a monster. Like, you do not want to mess with the Mon Calamari when their fleet comes in. Like, no. Even in Legends, moving forward, everybody is still like, can we not engage the Mon Calamari? Oh, yeah. The armor plating on those ships is insane. Yeah. Don't mess with the squid people. Just don't do it. I also want to shout out that Y-wing that we see that joins the Falcon and Wedge's X-wing into the Death Star 2. This is flown by Nora Wexley. We'll find that out later. 
and the Y-Wing draws a lot of the TIE fighters away from Lando and Wedge so that they can kind of blow the station. Mm -hmm. And she lives, so good for her. Good job, yes. Nora. She we did not that. die yes. in the Death Star 2 explosion. No. Can't good. I, I don't for, need another death for me to be sad. In other movies, but... Oh, can oh, we not yeah. talk about Snap yet? Greg <laughs> Grunberg <laughs> deserves our respect. I was <laughs> just trying to say that, you know, I'm glad we don't have someone else for me to be sad about, but there we go. <laughs> oh, no, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. It's, it's coming, Daniel. Don't it's worry. It's coming. <laughs> oh, yeah. So... Like you said, Colleen, the Moncala cruisers are a favorite of mine. They're just fantastic. I played a lot of Battlefront 2, the 2005 mm -hmm. version, and you could do all these space battles. And so you would have Rebel against Empire, and you would spawn on these cruisers. And so it was just, as a little kid, seeing those giant space battles happening, it was it was like the best thing that I could ever do. And so the Moncala cruisers are, are amazing. But I also have to uh have to say the the b-wing is so cool i think this is our first uh, look on seeing the b-wings um i think so like yeah the, yeah like the long the blade wings, long yeah. blade looking ships yeah i love those things those are really really cool designed by another moncala <laughs> oh there Shots we go that. <laughs> yes, so you know we've talked about the moncala mari let's talk about any of our other favorite aliens from this and Again, one of the things I really noticed on this rewatch, I'm pretty sure now whenever they're writing a new Star Wars story and they have to come up with a new alien race, they just go back to the Jabba the Hutt palace scenes, <laughs> look in the background, and they're like, all right, who is in here that we haven't actually haven't talked about yet? <laughs> but I did notice, all right, anyone of you guys who listens to Bohemian Geek Studies know I can never resist shouting out my guy, Hondo Onaka. They're a weak way at Jabba's palace. One of them is actually the drummer for the band. <laughs> So space pirates, Fantastic. yes, <laughs> give me a Hondo Just show. Yeah, cowards. I always love seeing Weequay. Um, I I have to uh, I have to talk about Salacious B Crumb. <laughs> so the fact that Salacious B Crumb one has that name, which is just amazing. He is the weird little monkey lizard that sits with Jabba and just ah laughs at everything like the little jerk he is. Um, so he is a Kowakian monkey lizard. And he is Jabba's jester. You know what? I'm glad Talk he went about down laughing with the at your own jokes. Yep. Yeah. He's the worst, and I love him. I see. I don't like him being the jester. I like the idea that Jabba the Hut has like a. It's like almost like a Doctor yeah. Evil kitty cat that he's constantly. <laughs> I th he's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's not completely like sentient i don't think i mean he's he is but he's not not quite as like a jester would be like a, a good mix like you said daniel uh and unfortunately daniel i gotta do it to you again <laughs> my creature oh, no. shout out is the rancor <laughs> that's right the rancor has a story and her name is patisa no <laughs> sorry daniel i've seen her referred to as either male or female on certain places but we're just gonna stick with a lady because that's just so much sadder Aww. and despite being carnivores rancors were actually peaceful creatures like pretty benign the dathomirian knight sisters actually domesticated them uh-huh i love it so much but jabba because he's a dick kept Batisa half starved so that she would eat anything that fell into that pit there. And I have a real irrational fear of being eaten, but I can't help but feel bad for Patisa and for mm -hmm. her um, Beastmaster guy, Makakili, who's crying. Okay, as, as a kid, as a kid, six years old, watching that scene, you'd think I would be like, oh no, Luke, he's about to get eaten by this monster. 
no i felt so sad when she's dead and her beast master comes running over and he's crying and i'm like yeah man i would cry too your your amazing monster just got murdered they were gonna escape together (laughs) 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 every week you do this to me okay daniel everything's fine Oh, God. oh gosh all right daniel well once you kind of pull yourself back together let's move into right, our right. unbearables untouchables so what did what in this movie really was perfect and what for you just didn't work <laughs> so as i said the luke vader plot is just a plus star wars to me the throne room scenes are thrilling it's it's some of the heights of what i think star wars can be and then the space battle around the death star just looks fantastic I love anything to do with space battles. Uh, So those are my standout, like untouchable A plus Star Wars. What I will have to say is the unbearable. I'm so sorry, Ewoks. You're cute. You're adorable, (laughs) but you should not have been there. It was supposed to be the Wookiees. And that would have made much more sense to me that Sheev's best troops, as he says, because I'm going to station a garrison of my best troops. And they got taken out by Ewoks. Like if it had been a horde of wookies i get it but your best troops taken out by teddy bears with wooden spears come on man um that's that's a little goofy the second death star um i i thought before that it used to be a little bit lazy but then real world like oh this went wrong let's try it again is a very normal thing to happen so I'm like, you know what? I'll I'll let it run. If you're yeah. gonna spend money on one, you might as well spend money on two. <laughs> yeah, we already made the plans. So yeah, I thought I was gonna have to defend this decision to you guys. Like I understand criticisms of people saying, "Are we just doing this same thing again?" Yes, I get that. But Daniel, like you said. This is how this works in real life. Number yeah. one, this is how innovation works. You never start with the prototype or you never settle with the prototype. The prototype is the MVP, minimum viable product, and then you innovate and iterate on top of that to make it better so that the second model is better. That's the plan always from the beginning. Also, generally how militaries work, if you destroy my big gun, I build a bigger gun. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I do have some questions escalation. about- Escalation. I do have some questions about the- timeline of the building they kind of threw that together really fast you got to assume that they worked out every single possible last kink in the construction and and design from the first death star which took almost 20 years if not longer to build and this one when it was fully operational is four times larger (laughs) so i think to to that point they were trying to do a lot of that in secret before when they were building the first one and this one they were like everyone knows about it let's just Let's just make it. Let's That's just true. make it out in the open. That, um, that and I, I, I will say, I really hope they went over Project Stardust and found the uh, the mistake that uh, Galen Erso put in. Because if they just rebuilt it the entire <laughs> same specs but scaled up four times bigger, that would be a huge mistake. That would explain how they were. At, they didn't have to fire torpedoes into the hole. They just flew into it themselves. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, they're also <laughs> mid-build. So. Yeah, they were mid-build. Um, but my untouchables for this movie, I really realized, yes, this movie is silly. Fine. But this movie is a showcase for Anthony Daniels. He is so good in this movie. Yes. His C-3PO is batting a thousand with the one-liners. Just perfect timing. Everything. It's just so good. I was also really surprised how well Yoda's death scene worked for me. Mm-hmm. He has that just that little bit of sass and his total attitude about death. This is actually, I think... 
you know, if you have small kids and learning about the concept of death and its inevitability and kind of embracing it, not necessarily being scared of it, it works really well towards that. Plus, on top of that, you get Luke's revelations about everything. For a pretty short scene, it altogether just runs very smoothly. Mm -hmm. Um, I did notice also this time, it's kind of funny to note, when Yoda dies, he takes his clothes with him, unlike (laughs) Obi-Wan. So like when oh Obi-Wan gosh, died, right. it was the the robes were left. But when Yoda dies, it's just his blanket. His robes disappear with him. <laughs> he said more time to train. Yes. <laughs> I guess. Hey, I like this outfit. I am not losing it. <laughs> He's been wearing it for 700 years. <laughs> uh, in terms of unbearables, this one, not necessarily an unbearable for this movie. It's just kind of a weird post-Return of the Jedi retcon that happens. Colleen, I know how much you love retcons. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on what they um, are. <laughs> so when they when the droids are escaping the sail barge, R2, in perfect fashion, pushes 3PO off and then just kind of drops off himself. And now we know that he's got the anti-grav boosters. Like, why does he not <laughs> use those to get off of this ship? It I doesn't think I know. Make- sense broken it's broken well because the barge blows up i think he just dives into the sand to try and avoid the explosion of the barge that's my running theory at least like this is the this is the only moment like in this trilogy that i can actually spot a moment where i'm like no if you have those boosters this (laughs) makes sense for you to use them here everywhere else he doesn't really need them he hasn't needed them up until this point so it kind of makes sense but alas, that's kind of the issue with retcons. And then the other thing yeah. I noticed this time around, Colleen, you mentioned last time in the Empire Strikes Back opening crawl, how they label Luke as the like, leader of the rebels. <laughs> and that's a f- stretch if there ever was one. Mm-hmm. When he's leaving, he says goodbye to Leia to go confront Vader. And he says, like, if I don't make it back, you're the Alliance's last hope. Bitch, she has been an integral part of this Alliance <laughs> since long before you got here. All right? <laughs> She's, like, practically a leader. <laughs> she was a princess and pretty much a general before you were a commander. So don't go lecturing her about what the Alliance needs. <laughs> Thanks, Luke. I got this. I outrank everyone here, basically. <laughs> like, Luke, I get you're a Jedi Knight. You're a symbol. But, like, there's a reason... Leia has been doing this for as long as she has because she's good at it. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. come on. Yep. Like, we'll see Mon Mothma later, and Leia is basically like her protege. So, yeah. And Mon Mothma is the leader of the <laughs> Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like Luke, 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 Luke. Good try. Good try, buddy. Uh, oh, Mothma. man. That one is always, good always one. talking to us about the Bothans. <laughs> oh, fucking pardon my French. Bothans. Oh, Disney, we're give talk us about Rogue Two with the Bothans. Give us yes. Rogue yes, Two, please. The Bothans. Yes. If you're rehashing everything anyway, just do it, you cowards. I could use some good Bothans, please. I've been reading way too much New Jedi Order. I need some good Bothans. <laughs> okay, back to this movie. Untouchable for me, Luke and Vader's lightsaber battle is super brutal and perfect. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. really well done. With Ian McDermott just chewing through the scenery in the background and goading them both. Like he's basically prodding them both into killing each other. I was mesmerized this time around watching it. Mm-hmm. I love Leia getting to say, I know, back to Han. Mm-hmm. It's so per- perfect. And his smile there is great. Um, whoever said Harrison Ford was phoning in his performance, and I've seen this a lot. I disagree. He's super funny. He's still very charming. I, I don't, don't necessarily see it as phoning it in. I did notice a bit of a shift, though. He was, just like the rest of the movie, funny. he was a little bit goofier with it. Yes. Yeah. We'll blame that on the carbonite. It did something yeah. to yeah. his head. <laughs> and of course,
first, the most iconic line, it's a trap. How have we not talked about that it's yet? It's a trap. So good. That line reading by Akbar is just killer. Very true. All right. So now I do want to take a minute for us to discuss one item in this movie that is at the same time, both an unbearable and an untouchable all rolled into one. Guys, we're going to talk about Princess Leia and the gold bikini. <laughs> I will not lie. As a young boy, absolutely this worked on me. 100% as intended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she yep. looks Bam. hot. <laughs> she does look good. She looks good. Mm-hmm. That being said, it absolutely serves no purpose other than to over-sexualize Carrie Fisher. None. There's yeah. no reason that she has to be a sex slave. <laughs> no, no reason whatsoever. Hated it when I was young and I hate it now. Gold bikini can just go suck it. I can see like maybe if there was an accompanying scene of Harrison Ford being mostly naked for if the only. ladies and the gentlemen who would appreciate that, that mm-hmm. would have been nice. But it's basically just a scene drenched in misogyny and double standards. Carrie Fisher wrote about this in her memoir, The Princess Diarist, which I recommended before. Here's a little excerpt from that quote. It was like, where am I in all of this? I have to stay with the slug with the big tongue, nearly naked, which was not a style choice for me. Wasn't my choice. When Mrs. Director George Lucas showed me the outfit, I thought he was kidding. (laughs) It made me very nervous. I had to sit very straight because I couldn't have lines on my sides, like little creases. No Mm -hmm. creases of my body were allowed. So I had to sit very, very rigid straight. Mm, End quote. Not okay. The only consolation for being forced to wear that stupid outfit is that Leia became known as the Hut Slayer after this by many people in the galaxy, and they admire her for it. They're like, you took down a hut, and not just any hut, Jabba. Like, there yeah. you go. Get it, I, Leia. Carrie Fisher I, was always very, very candid about how ridiculous and stupid this thing was. Um, I pulled this quote from an interview she did with Insider just a few years ago. Um, we use it also in our episode of Bohemian Geek Studies on representation in Star Wars with Sabine Wren. So they ask her, you know, how parents reacted to that whole deal. You know, if they see a toy that shows her in the gold bikini, how are they supposed to explain that to her kids? Well, first of all, my one reaction about that is, why are you asking her that? Why not ask George Lucas about that? He's the one who came up with the fucking yeah, idea. Exactly. Uh-huh. That is a question for him, not for her. Mm-hmm. But her response is, tell them that a giant slug captured me and forced me to wear that stupid outfit. And then I killed him because I didn't like it. Then I took it off backstage. (laughs) I love Carrie Fisher's wit. She Mm -hmm. is amazing. She will always be an icon. And what a perfect way for her to talk about this. I treasure Uh, her so much. She just was so good at self-deprecation, but yet still being a strong, badass woman about Mm -hmm. it. I love it. I love everything about it. All the love to Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. So now let's move into this film kind of building on what came before it. How does it expand the universe? How does it build the franchise? And something that happens in all franchises as they get bigger, this one is no exception, is we start to get into the callbacks. Now, Star Wars in its current state is absolutely littered with self-references and callbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, for several hours on that topic, check out our Bohemian Geek Studies coverage of The Mandalorian <laughs> Season 2, where we have several hours dedicated to the Easter eggs, connections, and callbacks in those episodes. Uh, There are also just so many here. We mentioned it already. We have another Death Star. We are recycling that same kind of plot device from the beginning. They did that already. We talked a little bit earlier about how that makes sense, doesn't make sense, however you want to go with it. The opening also has that Star Destroyer flying straight overhead uh, in Empire Strikes Back. It was actually flying at the camera, but this one goes back to the original from A New Hope. We have another Cantina Band 
back on Tatooine again. Uh, when Luke first enters Jabba's palace, he's got a very Vader-esque silhouette, one that's very recognizable to us immediately. And then as they are leaving Tatooine, Han tells Luke he owes him one now, calling back to Empire Strikes Back after he rescues him from the Wampa. He's like, that's two, you owe me, Junior. <laughs> we get what I would consider to be kind of a double callback. Colleen, you mentioned the inverse now, I love you, I know, with Han and Leia. And then she's got the blaster in her lap, very similar to what Han did to Greedo. Uh, and we get some serious growth from C-3PO, who said in the first movie he's not very good at telling stories, but it is his story in the Ewok village where he is actually telling the story of the last couple of movies that gets them to be part of the tribe, which is also another small reference to George Lucas's original concept for the series, where in his mind, this whole story was being told somewhere in the future by R2-D2. I love that detail. R2, of course, would be telling the story. (laughs) Making himself look great. You know, jazzing it up, making things sound great. Uh, I absolutely love how much they build up Luke across this series. And Return of the Jedi, you really just get to see the culmination of Luke's arc. He goes from that whiny farm boy who just wants to go in town to get some power converters. And now he's out here, you know, saving the galaxy along with his friends. Not saying that he's the only one doing it. It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big part. But you gotta gotta share the love. Uh, But I, I just I love his growth as a Jedi and as a leader. Um, I think what's a fun little callback is so he, when he gets shot in the hand at the beginning on the cantina uh, on the barge, he's got, you know, the hole in his hand, he covers it up with the glove. And then when he's having that vicious duel with Vader and he's just wailing his lightsaber down on Vader's hand and he cuts it off and he sees the circuits in Vader's hand and he looks at his own thinking about his own circuits and he's it it calls back in my mind to the scene in empire when he has the cave vision and he cuts off vader's helmet and his own face is there underneath and so seeing him grow and realize you know like there's always been a little bit of darkness in luke like when he finds uncle owen and aunt beru and that look on his face is one of revenge so we've always known there's a little bit of darkness in luke and he is wailing on vader in that scene and and he's ready to give in. And then he sees that and he pulls himself back. And I don't think farm boy Luke could have done that. Only a Luke who's gone through what everything that he's gone through, all the emotions and the trials that he's gone through, he has built himself up to that moment. So seeing him just being able to say, no, I'm a Jedi like my father before me, <laughs> throw that lightsaber away. Um, amazing. Not the growth. smartest choice. Let's let's be honest no. about that. Not the, the smartest the lightsaber, choice. Throw the lightsaber to that. Like you could have just put it back on your belt, <laughs> right? Not a smart choice. Obi-Wan's but like, no, <laughs> like, don't do that. But he believed in his father, and he really believed in in the Force in that moment. And it's it's amazing. You know, other than that, we don't really see much expansion of the Force other than uh, Palpatine's Force lightning, which was. Sorry for this pun. Absolutely shocking when I saw it. (laughs) Um, What I do like seeing, though, (laughs) I love a pun. What I do love seeing, though, is that Luke utilizes techniques that both Obi-Wan and Anakin used. So we see him using a mind trick on one of the Gamorrean guards and on, uh, and uh, oh, Bib Fortuna. I was thinking of his name. Mm. Um, And then he also chokes a Gamorrean, like his dad, Mm. like a little bit of that dark side that we were talking about. Um, And then finally, we've we've known about the dark side but hearing palpatine elaborate on it and in that throne room scene is is very fascinating 
So I also realized we never get to hear the word Sith in the original trilogy, no, we but do we not. do learn amount of a good amount about the dark side, which is is nice to set that stage for uh, future revelations about them. That's how you can tell what part of Legends you're in is when they start using <laughs> Sith instead yep. of Dark Jedi. <laughs> That's when you're like, oh, okay, Phantom Menace came out. I know when this was published. Now. <laughs> we figured it out now. <laughs> yep, we know what the Sith are now. Uh, I would say Star Wars, it's all about the relationships. I do wish we'd gotten a little bit more of the Emperor. I think he could have been a stronger character that way. I, I like how they did it, like bits and pieces of him. And it's only a trilogy, so you only have so much time. But I wanted to see more of his relationship with Vader, like what that was all about. Mm -hmm. And we'll get it in the prequels, but it could have been a little scarier. I do love him flexing. Every time he talks to Vader, he's like, my friend. <laughs> like, wow, you're such a dick. <laughs> Until the end, until the end, where he's just like, "Yeah, Luke, yeah, just like your end. dad, you're mine." Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's like this is not a friendship whatsoever. And Palpatine has like no friends. Maybe Doriana is like kind of a friend, but he really has no friends. Um, I thought this movie did a good job with the trio's relationships, though, kind of building off of the other two movies. They're not mm -hmm. a love triangle even more, even though Han kind of mistakes that they are <laughs> there at the end. Han like, is no. all of us in that scene. Yeah, all of us exactly. who were remembering the guests and we're just like wait what's going on it's like oh no oh well i get the girl it's that's fine yes <laughs> uh, i also like luke and vader's dynamic it's perfect i love vader's little pause that he takes when they're on endor after he's yeah. just sent luke off with the stormtroopers like he's already been hit by the oh this is my son bomb like mm -hmm. oh no feelings <laughs> i remember those <laughs> I just love that little aside. Like, yes, this is the good direction that we need from this movie. And then we also get to see Coruscant for the first time. Author Timothy Zahn's Galactic Capital creation finally made it to the big screen for that quick celebration shot at the end. Thank you, Timothy Zahn. What a, Oof, what yeah. a guy giving us so much to yeah. this universe. Seriously. We'll talk uh, more I, about that in a later episode, I know. Mm -hmm. I do want to say real quick that Luke Vader scene on Endor absolutely love it i'm glad you brought it up but it makes me laugh now knowing everything we know in canon because just imagine vader seeing like oh you have a new lightsaber and inside he's like oh mine's not good enough anymore <laughs> he flicks on this green lightsaber and he's like you know it had to kill him because like, i changed ahsoka's lightsaber colors to blue it should be blue what are you doing son <laughs> You know he was heated on the inside. I'm wondering, have you, have either of you guys watched any of the the deleted scenes? From no, this? like a long time ago. If they're yeah. On the so DVD one of them, they're they're up on Disney Plus. They have several deleted scenes, and one of them actually was the original opening. You open mm. on Tatooine. Luke is in a cave finishing construction on the lightsaber, and he mm -hmm. ignites it for the first time. And he then sends R two D two off on their mission. I think they oh. cut it because you maybe get more of a sense that Luke is still good despite the black and everything that he's wearing because that's one of the right. things when he first shows up we're actually not quite sure he could be he could have turned to the dark side he's using force chokes he's using mind tricks he's manipulating people a lot more he's dressed all in black <laughs> he's dressed all in black yeah but if you have a wide shot that shows his x-wing with the falcon in the background and him sending off r2 maybe that doesn't land as well a little more mystery <laughs> yeah now a, a quick aside, uh, we have to talk about the Cantina uh, rescue real quick, or the Jabba's Palace rescue. What was the plan? Like, so they send Leia in with Chewie, and she's trying to sneak Han out in the middle that of the night and gets captured. <laughs> but then Luke shows up, 
But they send the droids first before Leia, saying that Luke's going to come to negotiate. So was Luke going to come and try and negotiate, even if Leia, like, got out with Han? I don't don't quite understand what was going on there. I guess it's like a sleight of hand, like a misdirection, so that they're not really looking at Leia. Gotcha. They're preparing for Luke instead. And she's like, oh, let me... Let me try and do that while while they're preparing for the Jedi. How does Chewbacca fit into this? Muscle. <laughs> they need I somebody to carry Han out of there. He's back, right, but he's back, he's back in the cells. I hope their go their next thing well, was going to go Lando was probably supposed to break him out, maybe. Yes, that's true. That's that probably why Lando was there. Because, Leah, Lando is like the final backup. And yeah. he just didn't break his cover because he's like, all right, I can try and, yeah. try and help them later. I will say, the, Daniel, bringing up a good point, it's like a two-year gap between Empire Strikes Back mm-hmm. and Return of the Jedi. And if this is what they came up with after two years, <laughs> maybe not the best plan. They were hitting the spotchka a little bit before this. Would they have even done that? I Would we have even gone back to Tatooine, though, if we mentioned this last time, if Harrison Ford didn't come back? Would they even bother with this or would the entire first act of the movie just not happen? I think we would have had an entirely different force act, uh, first act. Or if he was dead. <laughs> Like they yeah. got there and he they couldn't revive him would be my only thing maybe but yeah talk about a downer for a beginning <laughs> yeah that would have been yeah. really dark that would have been really dark because when it comes to the rest of the plot like the re- the rebellion is just kind of ready to go mm-hmm. it's like hey there's a Death Star we're attacking it yeah. that's yeah. all the explanation we get of that they're all it gathered seems like around this the is... list they're all ready <laughs> we just gotta grab our last guy for the plan and then the crew's ready. Yeah. Good call, Daniel. Very good call. (laughs) All right. So moving on a little bit, Daniel, you mentioned a little bit of this earlier about what this film teaches us and builds our understanding of the force. Now, just like the last movie really built up the Imperial Navy, the evil side, and then this one built up the rebel fleet, the good side, the force, we kind of get an inverse of that where last time we learned Mm -hmm. a lot about the light side of the force. And this one really starts to build our understanding of the dark side. We get Mm -hmm. that force lightning in a, Mm -hmm. I'm also going to make the pun, in an electric (laughs) performance, (laughs) Ian McDermott. Tearing up the set, Ian McDermott. (laughs) Love to see it. A plus casting. Absolutely. And he was surprisingly young back when when he played this decrepit old man. He was surprisingly young, which is why we were able to get him back for the prequels 20 years later. Way to go, makeup department. Thank goodness. (laughs) Um, But we also get a lot more descriptions about the dark side drawing on anger and hatred. Give in to it as opposed to, you know, Obi-Wan saying, bury it deep down. (laughs) (laughs) Also healthy. (laughs) 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 No, Palpatine, another word we don't get in this movie at all. It is just the emperor. Mm -hmm. Um, Talks a lot about what he has foreseen and how everything is unfolding to his design, indicating that he's really consciously using this prophetic abilities that were hinted at and teased before. So again, taking that one step further, temptation, Obi-Wan talking to Luke about how his compassion may ultimately be his undoing. Compassion, a nice little call. Well, a callback a prequel callback later on, I will say. Yeah. <laughs> um, with Anakin talking about compassion and unconditional love. And we get a much stronger sense of those kind of psychic abilities rather than just kind of communicating with each other. Vader is like straight up reading Luke's thoughts. He's He figures out Leia, not just from mm-hmm. some kind of an intuition or whatever. He is straight up reading Luke's mind. Well, Luke's projecting it like crazy. <laughs> yeah. 
too. Yeah, Luke, maybe just like He's bury that one. Yeah. Like, if you're <laughs> going to bury things, one. Luke, bury that. Um, so what I, I like is while it's not directly stated, uh, they make some allusions to the disfiguring nature of the dark side. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Palpatine just decrepit and corpse-like. He, he is gray and sallow and it does not look great. And then, like we mentioned earlier, Luke looking at the mechanical hand and it's a symbol of what he could become, uh, like Vader, who's lost everything in the pursuit of the dark side. And then Palpatine is so sure of what the dark side has seen him. He's like, it's everything is going to my plan the way I have seen it. And he seems to really be like, I'm using the force. I'm the one like I'm the one guiding this instead of the Jedi who seem to sit back and and let the will of the force guide them. Um, so it makes me think Yoda says in the prequels that the dark side obscures things. And I wonder, did the dark side kind of punish Sheev a bit by letting him see things that weren't going to come to pass? Like you dipped a little too far into the well there, buddy. Mm-hmm. Well, we know the sun does not like to be controlled. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the yeah, dark side probably does not appreciate this. It's it's uh, the first hints really of the parasitic nature that the dark side has, which gets explored a lot in, in both legends and canon. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. Luke uh, uh, showing up as that one candle, Colleen to push back mm-hmm. the dark yes <laughs> stepping a little bit on our uh, revenge of the sith <laughs> discussion oh man yeah that that book forever and always recommend um getting back to a little light side here we get to see that force ghosts can communicate with each other not just the living they can actually like have little parties together <laughs> and are we wondering just how anakin was able to become a force ghost mm-hmm because seriously, y'all, that takes a lot of training for Obi-Wan and Yoda to be able to do it. George Lucas said on the Return of the Jedi commentary that Anakin kind of gets a little boost at the end there from Obi-Wan and Yoda, having forsaken the dark side and rejoined the light. Basically, he has to listen to his former masters, which is something he pretty much sucks at in the prequels and Clone Wars. Like, he would disregard rules and suggestions all the damn time so in this very final phase of his life in order to regain this semblance of himself this hayden christensen anakin he has to listen i I like that i can get you back like i can help you and this is great for obi-wan too because he finally realizes that anakin was still there and i think he blamed himself for so long thinking anakin was gone it's like oh no he's there (laughs) we can still do something about this i really like that that's kind of beautiful I like it. Speaking about the Force Ghosts communicating with each other, though, the way the way you put it that way now just makes me want to see the conversation that they do have. I want Anakin to like look at his hand, look at his legs, and look at Obi Wan, and just see what happens. So, okay, my roommate and I were talking about this. <laughs> Anakin looks kind of awkward, a little out of place there, and you just know as soon as that party's over and no one's around. Anakin is going to get just chewed out by Yoda and Obi-Wan. Like, hey, so hard. we found the younglings, buddy. Like, <laughs> you may have been redeemed, but we need to talk still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of atonement for you to do in this nether regions. <laughs> for real. You need to work on yourself. Oh, my gosh. Oh, gosh. We love it. <laughs> All right. Next, we're going to move into our recommendation sections. This is actually one of my favorite parts. I love like helping people find your stuff to read and watch. Well, we're going to end today with our recommendations. This is going to be content you may like if you also enjoyed Return of the Jedi. And before I go into my Star Wars recs, I've been like totally mainlining two anime series since January, Attack on Titan and My Hero Academia. 
The series are very different in story and tone, but they're both epics with fantastic character development and very intricate plots. Attack on Titan is much more serious and it is gory, so Mm -hmm. be prepared for that. But it features that angsty main trio that we love, escalating danger, and some really killer plot twists. My Hero Academia is adorable. It's about teenagers with superpowers who are learning to become heroes. And just like Attack on Titan, there's a chosen one protagonist with the whole world basically on his shoulders, a wise older mentor, and an array of supporting characters who would look super comfy, like just chilling in the Star Wars universe. The creator, actually, Kohai Horikoshi, is a huge Star Wars fan, and he cleverly inserts Star Wars location names into the manga, and then they find their way into the anime. Oh, cool. Hmm. Yeah. So you'll see like a cloning facility is in the Kamino ward. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, well nice. done, Horikoshi. Well done. And then now moving into our Star Wars books for canon, the Alphabet Squadron series by Alexander Freed. Great. Absolutely wonderful. They focus on a squadron made up of different fighters. So you get each one of them has a different fighter, like an A-wing, a B-wing, a U-wing, an X-wing, and a Y-wing. And then the pilots are also wildly dissimilar. It's really funny when they all have to interact together and work together. And then for Legends, we're going to go over the Heir to the Empire trilogy in our later pod, going over kind of the pre-Disney era Star Wars stuff. But it is really the perfect companion piece to Return of the Jedi once you're done. And then I also haven't dived into these yet, but my Star Wars book pushers are really adamant that I read this series next. It's the X-Wing series. And this is set directly after the original trilogy and focuses on Wedge, my main dude Wedge, (laughs) and Tilly's and Rogue Squadron. So yes. Nice. Dip Um, into those. Nice. Well, I, uh, I have a few recommendations this week. If you want a trilogy that just ends very well just like i think this star wars original trilogy ends i mean i feel like everyone already knows this one at this point if you haven't watched or read lord of the rings you have to i mean what a fantastic trilogy like if you're looking at trilogies that end great star wars original trilogy lord of the rings come on let's go um as i said last week avatar the last airbender again three seasons perfect trilogy love it um now if you're like me the ending of this movie, while I I love Re- uh, Return of the Jedi, the ending is very abrupt. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, we blew up the Death Star, and we all have a big party, and it's over. It's like, okay, but w- what's going on? So if you're like me and want to know what's going on after, um, obviously the Mandalorian set about, what, five, six years after mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is great. We get to see a the fledgling New Republic. Also, I've got to shout out Battlefront 2 from 2017. Uh, this is a canon story following an Imperial officer who ends up defecting and joining the Rebels. And it spans from, literally starts on the Battle of Endor. Like, she's on the Forest Moon of Endor. And it goes all the way into uh, the First Order era. So we get a nice look at, you know, how the First Order builds up, what it's like, how the Empire falls, and then also Star Wars Squadrons. So uh, since you recommended Alphabet Squadron, which I'm very excited to read, I love anything to do with spaceships. So good. Uh, Squadrons <laughs> is great because it's a canon spaceship story 
set in the Star Wars universe uh, directly after Revenge of the Jedi, or sorry, Return of the Jedi. <laughs> I want one of those posters so bad. All right. <laughs> um, also, our favorite space mom, Hera, is in Squadrons. Yeah. So we love that. Um, She's watch in Rebels. Alphabet Squadron as well. Watch Rebels. Watch Rebels. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so that's I, that's my recommendations for this week. All right. So I'm going to start my recommendations off this week honoring the great Admiral Akbar, and I am going to recommend The Clone Wars Season 4, Episodes 1 through 3. This is the arc that takes place under the waters of Moncala. Mm-hmm. It's so cool to actually see the Moncalamari in their element, fighting. It's got kind of a uh, Aquaman-type plot, a little Throne of Atlantis-type thing going on, uh, and it's just a really cool showcase for the Moncalamari and a young Admiral Akbar. Heck yeah. Yes, he's I a captain. Am, yes. <laughs> Uh, you've heard Colleen before on previous episodes mention Ray Sloan as part of the Empire. If you're interested in who that is, I very highly recommend the Aftermath trilogy by Chuck Wendig. Uh, it's a trilogy of novels that take place right after Return of the Jedi and cover the final actual days of the Empire and what happened to them leading up to the final Battle of Jakku which mm-hmm. leads us into what Ray's doing with all those Star Destroyers in Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Which also has some crossover with the Battlefront 2 storyline. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah, Disney has done a really good job with the end of Return of the Jedi, kind of mm-hmm. making you realize just how dangerous the Empire still is. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just all big celebration at the end of the movie and everything's fine. No. <laughs> I'm also going to recommend the two theatrically released Ewok movies. The Ewok Adventure, Caravan of Courage, which came out in 1984, and Ewok's Battle for Endor in 1985. Now, I want to be clear. I am not recommending these because I've seen them, and I think you should too. I am recommending them because I want someone out there to find a way to stream them and tell me about it because I want to watch them. And the only way I can find right now is to shell out like 40 or 50 bucks for the DVD on Amazon and then I'll, it's probably a bootleg that doesn't work, and I'll also have to find a DVD player because I don't actually have one anymore. So find those pressure disney plus into actually put the, putting them on i want to see these movies you've never seen them no i've never seen them and i've tried finding them i've tried finding <laughs> them i didn't online. know these existed there are we two had them recorded Ewok off of the movies. disney channel i think yeah. <laughs> i there have never two. known about these and i think i'm i'll try to find them but in the back of my head i'll still remember should have been the wookies it should have justice for kashik <laughs> And then, as always, I recommend the novelization of the films. In this case, it was written by James Kahn. So Mm -hmm. that is going to be it for us today. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at YASWpod. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, whatever. Hit that subscribe button. Check out all the offerings from the Forgotten Entertainment family at ForgottenEntertainment.com. You can also find Colleen and I on the Bohemian Geek Studies podcast, where we are currently diving into Star Wars Rebels. You will also find Colleen's Star Wars book reviews on BohemianGeekStudies.com. Tune in next time when we will have a special bonus episode. That's right. Before we get into the prequels, we are going meta and discussing Star Wars fandom and the 2009 film, Fanboys. Woo! Can't wait. (laughs) It's going to be great. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye. (laughs)